I'm half human. I'm on another side. Welcome to TARDIS Talk, where each week we'll be taking you through our sorted thoughts and feelings on the highs and lows as we work our way through the annals of classic Who. This week we're at the very end of the classics, with a trip to 1996's one-off attempted revival TV movie with Paul McGann's Eighth Doctor. And fronting me at TARDIS Talk HQ are my handy companions, my time-travelling assistants, my one and only fam, Cook and Matt. Hello there. I detest that. <laughs> As I say, you've called me a lot of things over the years, but you've never called me that. Wash your filthy mouth out. <laughs> so the TV movie, we've all seen the TV movie before, haven't we? Yes. It's yes. hard not to have seen the TV movie if you're a modern-day Who fan. So it, it, in a nutshell, thoughts? In a well, nutshell, it's it, all right. It's all right in retrospect. I imagine watching it um, at the time and thinking, is this how it's going to be from now on? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know, I was a kid, I would have been in 11 and I remember watching that and being like, well firstly the build up to it was pretty massive all over the British press at the time and also being like oh this is really cool, but yeah I kind of get your point even as an 11 year old there was that horrible slight taste of the, the key thing here is I'm not going to get xenophobic at all <laughs> but there was that horrible kind of like glossy American taste that was kind of like it it, it permeates throughout this doesn't it really there's that kind of america because it's a co-production it's a, it's a, it's a co-national production isn't it, between uh britain and, and the americans so it's a fox network production with the bbc i do definitely know what you mean yeah. it's got that sort of um i Buffy, don't know if i'd Buffy call it like a sit- type taste. i was gonna say sort of sitcom type thing especially with the hospital scenes when they're doing the surgery and these a little bit the ER type. yeah and... i know yeah. what you're saying yeah 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 but yes it's, it's as far as stories go, it's not bad. It's um, It's got a relatively solid Doctor Who story, hasn't it? You know, end of the world type stuff. And uh, it's a regeneration story. So this is, is this our first classic regeneration story? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, we'll yeah that we reviewed. Yeah, that we reviewed so far anyway. Um, definitely the first classic regeneration story. Um, what do you call it? That? Classic? Well, we have to kind of... It falls in into that era, era doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just borderline. Is that just because the Seventh Doctor's in it, though? Because I don't think it has... I think it feels more New Who than Classic Who. Do you think, really? Well, yeah. I suppose technically they class New Who as 2005's revival onwards, so this is a bit of an anomaly in it, because it's not Classic Series, but it's not New Who either. So it's, it's sort of in that weird wilderness year's limbo we spoke about last week. Um, yeah. Which is 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 really really odd. I think for the sake of kind of like our classic reviews, we'll refer to it as a classic for for consistency. Yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for a start, picking Paul McGann as the Eighth Doctor, uh, superb choice. Um, I couldn't imagine anyone else doing doing that that incarnation, which is really odd considering there was a lot of really high pedigree actors who went up for the for the run of it. Um, Wasn't Peter Capaldi interested? He, I think he tried to apply. They basically turned him down straight away. So I don't even think I don't even think he got into interview stage yeah, right. uh, for the role. Um, famous people who, who who were up for interview: um, Liam Cunningham, you know Sir Davos. Oh, from really? Games. He interviewed for it. Um, uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Yeah, just basically there was a load of load of random people who uh, who interviewed for it. But yeah, as far as the story goes, and and kind of like the the, the casting of. of Paul McGann as the eighth doctor, I think, was pretty 
pretty superb choice. Um, yeah, it's got that weird twinge, hasn't it, about about sort of like classic Who that it's. Um, Sorry, my cat's just burst into the room and completely knocked me off my swing. <laughs> I could hear him scratching at the door oh. throughout that. And I was thinking, oh, Chris, you're going, oh, wait, where's your brain going? Where's your brain going? <laughs> if only would have known me so easy to distract you. I mean, I, I think one of the things, one of the things we Matt, spoke about when it came on the screen. On. Yeah, no worries, have it out. <laughs> um, one of the things we talked about the moment it came screen, and not just because the volume was way too loud and deafened me, was um, the uh, intro theme. Oh, yeah, I love that. The, really the strong. Yeah, I really love the intro in this uh, in this. Uh, TV movie. It, it did make me laugh because you were trying to talk to me, weren't you, at the time? But the volume was way too high, so I had no idea what you said. But all like, I know is, that, yeah, exactly. I got in the headset as well, but it both barrels. I love this. But I tell you what, you're talking about the intro theme as well. But I love that vortex and that police box model. This is going through the vortex in the TV movie. I really like that. Cook. This is this is generally your kind of area. But what, what, what this do you is quite mean? bad because I, in the break between us finishing watching it and. Um coming back to record this i i missed the start of it so i caught up a little bit and yeah. i actually can't remember the intro theme. oh really Aww. it's i'll tell you what it reminds me of every time i hear it and i don't know if you guys remember this if you're too young um the uh dean dean clark i think he's called and um well the, the adventures of lois and clark dean kane dean kane so the superman the new adventures of superman which is a an american series in the 90s and the theme tune of that was very reminiscent of this this theme tune it's got that kind of like Star Trek Next Generation type sort of American brass strings and horn type sort of sound. Yeah, but it's right. quite composition. I really like I really like this theme tune. It's um interesting that maybe it was the right thing. I was gonna say interesting Big Finish didn't pick that particular theme tune up and go with it when they brought Paul to to audio. Um it's probably be American sourced. Yeah. That's why they can't use They'd the have character. To of someone. Mm indeed but uh, you're talking about the intro there and, and the effects and stuff i think the effects in the tv movie are fantastic i really yes. yeah really good i have a problem thing? with uh, the uh, the slug the snake i love the snake the, the slug snake. the snake whatever you want to call it i yeah the jizz worm um <laughs> I was trying to think of a delicate way to phrase it, but yeah, I was chill. When he slithers into the apartment or whatever it is, it reminds me of Prisoner Zero because he's got a similar sort of like ridging. Yeah, a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see where you're coming from. But the the snake thing, I absolutely completely forgot even happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very bizarre little kind of direction for them to to go with that. It may have also just ruined Prisoner Zero for me. I don't know. Prisoner Zero is the master. There's a brand new fan theory for you the oh, entire God. time. <laughs> but I thought it was pretty good, especially when um, he's forcing his way into uh, down down Bruce's throat. There was no way that I could say that without innuendo. Uh, yeah. So there's when, a clip if anybody wants to the, take that one. Get when on the master is forcing himself down Bruce's throat. That looks very convincing. Yeah. As much as I don't like the uh, the effects on the snake slug thing, yeah, there's definitely a and then it pulls the out. There's oh a struggle. So I think because even though we kind of push the boundaries on this podcast quite a bit, we'll probably like try not to go too far down that line. There is a lot of bizarre imagery in this story. There is a lot. I mean, why did they choose that incredibly organic-looking fluid 
for the master slime i mean a very cynical and you know i would dare say normal person wouldn't look at that in the same way that we watched that and and sniggered and laughed i know and it. it's just it's the oh. bit where it comes out the lock and it's the bit where he opens his mouth and his lips it's trembling down his uh, yeah <laughs> right that's enough that's enough <laughs> No more of that. This is a, a healthy, family-friendly podcast where we drop yeah, the occasional effort. Well, you can't oh. talk. You said jizz snake earlier. <laughs> but I there just... is something distinctly wrong about it. And you would have thought that upon watching it through, um, they clearly got some sort of reaction because hopefully they would have got an, you know, an audience test and all that. However, you would have thought somebody at some point would have gone, a bit questionable. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Maybe they just wanted to put slime in it because slime is a fairly kind of like, you know, thumbs up it ticks a box on the old sci-fi horror kind of sort of body horror type uh, checklist of things to creep people out but it worked because i thought that was quite creepy when that snake thing was kind of swanning around and taking control of bruce and all that business that was pretty creepy mm-hmm. mm. i don't know it's um yeah some and then the only thing i'll tell you what one of the special effects that i found really jarring was uh, um eric roberts's shitty contact lenses <laughs> When he takes <laughs> takes a contact lens, he takes the glasses off in the ambulance, and he's just got these like really fake looking contact lenses in, mm-hmm. as if he's supposed to look like an alien. Yeah. Although on the flip side, it's a really really minor effect, but I think they nailed it really well when the doctor's putting that probe out of his chest, and it yeah. just keeps going. I thought that was very well done. Yeah, very very well done actually. I tell you what, big effect that we haven't even spoken about the regeneration. I quite yeah. liked how though it was um, in parallel with. The master taking over that dude's body as well they're like side by side almost yeah and it was also um parodied by frankenstein on the tv boris karloff's frankenstein on, on the on the tv that that um pete bloke was watching but yeah it was oh, yeah. it was nice nicely played out in that respect the actual effects of the regeneration <laughs> he basically yawns his way into existence doesn't he <laughs> So it's, it's, a bit, um, it's a bit Matt Smith. <laughs> it's very Matt Smith, actually. Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, yeah, I can see that now. Um, such such an undignified way for for poor Seventh Doctor to go out, though. He steps out his TARDIS and he's gunned down, literally, before he's even had a chance to blink. You know, he looks like he's had a good long life, though. He does, yeah. Sylvester McCoy's. You got to bear in mind what's funny about this is it's only seven years later. Isn't that long when you think about it? Yeah, true. And there's a massive jump in difference. I mean, I guess that's what well, happened. That's basically when... Tom Baker's entire tenure, isn't it, really? Pretty much, yeah. It's nice to see that Sylvester McCoy did come back for the role as well. Um, you know. Yeah. Brief though it was. It was but, yeah. I mean, you are right. He literally steps out the TARDIS. You know, he does his little, just straight up my jacket. I'm very proud. I'm going to see what's about. And immediately <laughs> gets gunned down. Brap, brap, brap. <laughs> down he goes. <laughs> I know, that's pretty The dark. Americans, uh, I don't know if that's... <laughs> the British influence on the film or the American influence, but either way, it works. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. I mean, when you look at the ways that all the Doctors have died in the past, the first Doctor died of old age, and uh, who's probably had the worst... got forcibly killed. <laughs> who's had the worst regeneration out of all... I think it's going to be Colin Baker, isn't it? Easily. He's uh, worst as in most painful, or no, say worst in what aspect? Just, just the most, the, the worst is in kind of like the, the, the worst crappiest. production value. <laughs> Not even that, just the crappiest. Like who's died? The, like a doctor choking on a jelly baby, for example. Who's had the crappiest regeneration? Yeah, smacking red as you fall probably isn't the best one. Yeah, it was probably Conan Bacon falling off his exercise bike, wasn't it? <laughs> I bet that's what it was. <laughs> but yes, um, there's something else I was going to mention about this story as well. 
I said, well, I tell you what, Cook, what did you like about it? About the TV movie? Mm. Uh... I, don't, I can't really pick anything out. Nothing comes to mind immediately. I just think it's an enjoyable, mindless watch. Yep, I can agree with that. What about you, Matt? <laughs> oh, the one that made me laugh was still um, counting all the crimes that poor Grace was doing as she was running <laughs> off with the doctor. Yeah. However, I think I think again it was nice to uh, that you know if, if you're watching this on the telly and you maybe not be a Whovian, one of the things I did appreciate, and then I'll come on to the bit that I like as well, is the is the amount they dived into sort of setting up the doctor. You know, they did a lot with this amnesia piece about trying Exposition, to figure out who he is, yeah, the background, and but. But they did it like that particular scene where the doctor's talking is done quite well. I'm not quite sure I like it at the beginning. Uh, and I'm not mm. quite sure about the accuracy of bits as it moves on. Yes. However, the actual conversation between the doctor and Grace is a very well put together scene. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the character work is definitely the strength of this. Hugely. Mm. Which point. is interesting so. considering that it's uh, an American audience and the Americans wouldn't have been overly exposed to Doctor Who. So, like, Daphne Ashbrook and Eric Roberts probably would be aware of it in some really minor capacity, but Doctor Who was not this global phenomenon. Phenomenon? Phenomenon. It was not a global phenomenon like it has been in recent days. So it's good that they kind of were able to pick it up and run with it the way they did, even if Eric Roberts is a smidge hammy in parts. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I think the character stuff is kind of like one of his key bits. I think for me... Um, I, I, the, the one thing that I do I do really appreciate about it is that it didn't go international and completely lose its British charm. It feels very much to me like a British Doctor Who story set in America, but they just happen to have made it feel incredibly authentic. Uh, you know, it's great that they cast a British actor in the lead. Um, we were watching, and there were little things that I didn't notice. Like I didn't even know only just now, and I've seen this loads of times. Didn't notice that the TARDIS materializes, rematerializes, or lands in front of a um, Buckingham Palace billboard in an alleyway with a royal guard on the wall. Didn't notice that before, and yeah. it just kind of sort of like noticed it tonight when we were rewatching it. So this, I just like the fact that it retains its charming elements, and I also like the fact that they use that to certain extents. And I'll bring this up later when we're talking about um, the Eighth Doctor's kind of persona and stuff. Um, but I like the fact that they use the British eccentricity of the situation to make it kind of a little more quaint, uh, maybe fairy tale like, if that's the best way of putting it. In what way? Um, so, well, we're kind of bleeding a little bit into into talking about the Eighth Doctor here, but sort of basically like the Doctor is an alien. He's a little bit quirky. Um, he's a little bit eccentric, and uh, he's got this mystical machine which is bigger on the inside than the outside and when he speaks to a certain characters throughout this story you know the um, the inventor of the beryllium uh, the atomic clock uh, the cop with the gun he does it in a very kind of like airy fairy sort of you know very innocent but also quite charismatic way if that makes sense and that's only kind of like the charm that you can get from that kind of like I don't know, the magical aspect of, of both being the Doctor, but also that kind of um, quintessential Britishness that you get, that kind of politeness and that lack of brashness, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do this without sounding really American bashing. I don't mean to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I've got lots of American friends, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, moving swiftly on from that topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it, as, as far as stories go, it's great. However... We have to talk about several elephants in the room and quirks and issues with this production. 
uh, probably best to do it, I wouldn't say in chronological order, but the first thing that jumps to mind is the Daleks at the start. I mean, what the fuck were they thinking by... <laughs> they were glorious. <laughs> ...using them in name and then not even showing them because obviously they didn't have the rights, but, but then having that horrible uh, squeaky voiced robot sounding voice thing with the exterminate bit. I mean, what the hell? You just don't bother, do you? If you can't yeah. get them on screen, don't bother voicing them either. I know. They sound like the mash, ro <coughs> mash robots from the... Um, and also, since when did Daleks put Time Lords on trial? Yeah. Hold on, we've talked about this. They've had all sorts of forms of government. I'm sure there's been some <laughs> sort of um, legal proceedings at some point. Could you imagine a Dalek lawyer? Okay, hang on. For, for something that's meant to be a parallel to the Nazis, I don't remember... Uh, a whole group of people being put on trial. Well, I, he, all I remember. <laughs> he used what? the term that he was on trial, but he wasn't really, was he? He was, he was more of a firing squad. That's basically what was happening there. Yeah, Dalek before someone goes guilty. Next, yeah, moves basically, yeah, that's that's what it was because it, it was it was set up in that in that way that you were led to believe that it was it was basically an execution. They knew the master was going to get exterminated. Um, but yeah, I just think it was such a weird choice to have the Daleks in and then not show them. Another yeah. law-breaking thing, which is a really minor thing, and it's a nitpicking thing, is the um, Doctor showing Gallifrey on the screen. He's like, oh, you know, it's just over there. And then you see this planet with this cloud around it. Uh, th that visual was a bit weird anyway. But it's like a blue and green planet. And it's just like, uh, you know, uh, Gallifrey is like red. It's like a deep crimson mottled red. It's not blue and green. It's red. Um... Yeah, that was a win. Did you pick up on that call when you saw it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, you were watching with us at that point, when Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, so just tiny bizarre things, but the big elephant in the room, of course, is the very, very, very controversial I'm half human on my mother's side. So, let's put the Doctor on trial, okay? Or let's, let's put the TV movie on trial. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Pipe down. <laughs> So we've got we've got guilty, Matt. How, how do you stand? How Hold on, what, what what exactly are we putting on trial? The whole it, movie in its entirety. No, 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 no. So the actual stance of the Doctor being half human on his mother's side, guilty of God, guilty of war crimes against Doctor Who, or I, uh, I it doesn't feel right to me. Um, do I think it fits in sort of the overarching narrative? No. Do I think they're trying to add a new twist to it? Again, talking about revival, add an air of mystery to it, put a bit more interest back into it. Yeah, probably. Does it fit in with new Who lore? Absolutely not, particularly not with the recent um, yeah. uh, changes to the story. But again, it, it could be any number of aspects. It's brought up briefly again when we talk about sort of the whole the hybrid storyline. So you never know. You well, just it... can't answer that. You say that. Do I like? So do I like it? No. Yeah. But can I discount it? No. Yeah. No. Fair enough. I mean, I think it was basically hinted at. I can't remember where, and I'm sure somebody listening will kind of either very politely let me know when this was. I'm sure they they hinted that the Doctor lied about that on screen at some point. I don't know if you guys can remember if that was a I thing. Think... Oh, I don't know. I remember Russell T Davies saying something about it. I can't remember what he said. Yeah. I mean, my stance on it is I, 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 I don't agree with it, but 
Uh, I prefer it immensely to the Doctor being the Timeless Child. I would rather the Doctor was half-human than being the Timeless Child. I was thinking that, but I wasn't going to say it, because I don't think comparing it to something that has come later makes it it's just more logical. good. Yeah. It just, to I me, agree. it feels more logical I'm... than the Timeless Child. I'm not saying I would... If, if some, Basically, if, if there was a parallel universe out there and somebody said to me... Um, gone to your head you have to choose one of these two and it will kind of like rewrite doctor who history and this is the established way of things i would choose half human any day because it just loved to me it makes more logical sense that the doctor has got an affinity for earth um... in that scenario i see what you're trying to say but i think i also very much agree with cook which is at the time if you were watching it live on the telly yeah you wouldn't have that information about the timeless child so judging no, it on its own merits yeah, I have to agree with Cook's argument of I don't think it's the right direction. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people didn't, and they didn't for many, many years. It was parodied as yeah. being I'm just, a ridiculous I'm, saying, I'm just going to blame it on regeneration sickness. <laughs> He's a bit confused. I'll tell you where that came from. That came, do you guys know the backstory of, of, of like the, the, the original plot for the TV movie? And what they were going to uh, do? No. In a nutshell, I won't waffle on about this for ages. When they originally got all the actors to audition for it, and they got oh. Paul McGann to do it, um, it was it was along the lines of he read a piece and it, it was basically him talking to his father. So the doctor's dad was called Ulysses, and he was a, he was one of the pioneering uh, yeah. time travelers from Gallifrey. He went off to Victorian Earth, fell in love with a woman called Penelope, and they had the doctor. And Ulysses, Penelope died somehow. I can't remember how. It, it Maybe an experiment. I think it was. And Ulysses took the doctor back to to Gallifrey to grow to raise him as a time lord. Um, yada yada yada. Hence forth the rest of the excuse me the rest of the tv movie obviously yeah. that all got destroyed in translation thankfully to, to that extent um and but they they obviously kept in the half human thing uh as a like you say matt potentially as a way to re, you know revitalize and add a little bit more mystery and depth to it the the if you if you go onto youtube and type in eighth doctor so paul mcgann audition tape there's the whole script dialogue with him acting it out on on youtube I think the intention for that was it was going to be the follow-on TV series if the movie was successful. That's, That's what yeah. that would have been incorporated into. And the yeah. master was supposed to be his brother as well. That's right. Weird, weirdly designed Daleks or something. That's I'm pretty sure right. that. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. Um, they well, would that take... had taken a different turn. Well, the master was always supposed to turn out to be the Doctor's brother anyway. But then Roger Delgado passed away in a car crash, and they were like, "Yeah, we can't do that anymore. We'll have to." Oh no, that bit I remember. I mean, the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's interesting. I never really. I think it just didn't take on because the Americans didn't adopt to it when it was when it was broadcast over there. Um, we loved it, but we weren't the ones paying for it. Um, a bit of the license fee went into it, but the majority of it was it was a Fox production mainly. Um, so, I think that's the main reason why the actual TV movie itself kind of flopped a little bit over there. They just didn't take on board kind of the charm of it which is unfortunate but you know it's fine because everything worked out in the end and we got the tv series in 2005 it is a difficult thing to try and get an entire country in love with after just an hour and a half oh, huge especially yeah. the, with the history they had so that even at that time so yeah no definitely it's interesting isn't it because we had a gap of like seven years at that point and it came back and the build-up to the, sh the to the it coming back was immense um i remember like it being in the Radio Times and there being special collector's editions of it everywhere and sort of queuing up as a kid 
to get my this is my only really this is really my only child my only proper kind of conscious childhood experience of Doctor Who being you know something big and around um being quite excited to queue up at Tesco to get a copy of the of the book which came out and then the kids version of the book and stuff like that but there were no toys as such it was all kind of like books and videos and then sort of like you know you get these pull out inserts from like radio times or like other tv magazines and newspapers and stuff like that so nice did, did you not have daypol at that time yeah but they didn't was... have the license to it because daypol was only yeah. uh the, the bbc series whereas the, i think that's another reason why this flopped because this was exclusively not just a bbc thing they kind of like licensed it out to um to fox productions to to, to sort of like you know handle it and do what they want with it in it out the window as it were but yeah seven years off air came back big thing didn't do so well went to bed again for what nine years at that point wasn't it and then no seven another seven was it seven was it what 2005 yeah, 1996 to 2005 oh although you had big finish shortly after that uh which yeah we'll come on to shortly but um it's a good story. It's a good story. It's got some good bits and bobs in it. I quite enjoy it. Um, I go, I revisit once every few years, which is quite nice. And tonight I've discovered yet more little things about it, just sort of little things in the background stuff, which I thought were quite cool. Um, I think, like you say, Cook, it's just a mindless, enjoyable watch. There's nothing offensive about it, is there? Not especially. No. Like there's, there's things that do. Uh, I do have gripes with the whole Master Snake thing. It's just bizarre, even for what the show was. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, <laughs> I suppose we can say that, though, because we know it's not had any real consequences. No. No, I, I think, think Go on. if it had succeeded, we might be cursing it in this podcast, yeah. as opposed to. We probably wouldn't be doing this podcast because yeah, I reckon if they true. brought a series on it, probably would have lasted two seasons and then that would have been it. And maybe they, they would have revived it in the noughties. But uh, that makes a good question, actually. What would, have, what would have become of Doctor Who had it kind of like had a proper run? Mm, that's something to ponder on, I guess, isn't it? So the casting of the Eighth Doctor then, as we were saying earlier, was Paul McGann. It was done brilliantly. But he obviously only got the one crack of the whip with this particular one. He came back and did the big finish stuff a little bit later, which we'll be covering in weeks to come anyway. Um, we're going to do a whole episode on big finish itself. Um, so Paul McGann's Doctor, I think, again, it's that factor, isn't it? It's that magic I am the Doctor moment, which is ironic because he spends half the story screaming, who am I, into mirrors. <laughs> very dramatically <laughs> but fantastically mad oh yeah absolutely but it's definitely dramatic i still prefer him in this over jody whittaker i'm afraid to say <laughs> you know oh, i like the fact yeah. he, he not only did he manage to go out of his way to find all the broken you know proper identity crisis all the shards of glass and mirrors and whatnot but he found the most dilapidated room in the hospital to do it <laughs> The weather's coming through, the windows are bust, and it's yeah. like, hold on, surely they've got the money to do up that room. You could fit another three <laughs> or four people in there. Yeah, I do like the, uh, the 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 way that he's kind of discovering his personality bit by bit, though. Um, interesting, his, this is his, the Doctor's first snog, well, the Doctor's first kiss, really, uh, I think ever, in the entire history, show's history. And it's not even like a peck on the cheek, it's like a full-on 
yeah, I'm going to finish you off, sort of thing. And then she goes and that must be an Americanism. Oh, he's That's imported. Yeah. Good thing though, because if we didn't have that, and Russell T. Davis is quoted as saying this as well, if they didn't have that in the show, they probably wouldn't have done it in 2005. And I think that element of romance, despite the fact that I've mentioned this many times before and I've not been a fan of it, I think that romance of elements does add an extra dimension to the Doctor as a character. And Paul McGann, it, you know, um, he's a relatively handsome bloke. Um, he's quite like the way he dresses as well is quite romantic isn't it so he's supposed to be kind of like a bit of candy and he's the first bit of candy doctor that we've ever really had at this point um and i think he does it quite well yeah i suppose so the portrayal of the charm and everything as well you know um he's not the frumpy sylvester mccoy he's not kind of like you know the, the arrogant uh colin baker or the boring Slightly, yeah, slightly wet Peter Davison. I'm not talking about the. I'm only talking about the actual incarnations, not the actors themselves, of course. Um, yeah, I think he does it does it really well. But yeah, for me, he just like had that I am the Doctor moment, which is perfect. Mm. Yeah, I'm just trying to think something else to add on to that, but I don't think I can. Like again, there's no. There's no doubt from that point, you know, from the moment where he starts actually remembering who he is and running around and, you know, jumping into the action, commanding the room, having a plan. Um, even if he is robbing a gun off a police officer, there's no point where you kind of go, not quite sure about that. That's what I was going to say earlier. You know, when you were talking about, I was talking about that British magicalness about it. Yeah. That word magicalness, magic, British magic. We'll go with that. Um, that, that sort of charm. The bit when he's basically him and Grace are whole like, sort of like steal the gun off that cop, but before he does that, the whole sequence goes, um, "Hello, I have a bag of jelly babies. Would you like one?" And he's like, "What?" And he, it, you know, Paul McGann does that little go on the, the jelly babies, and he does that little thing where he kind of like kisses kisses the air with the jelly baby, and the cop goes to kind of eat the jelly baby, and then the next thing you know, the Eighth Doctor has disarmed him, and he's got the gun. But rather than I, I love the writing in this, rather than pointing the gun at the cop. He turns the gun on himself. Which yeah. thinks just that is so the doctor. That's that's something the doctor would do. He threatened to kill himself rather than point the gun at the cop, which I just think is like, you know, proper chef's kiss writing for the doctor. They got that right big time. I really like that. Um and the way that Paul McGann does it as well, he's got this kind of like Bambi like air of innocence about himself as well. He's like this newborn, rejuvenated sort of character. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe him because he is Again, clearly clever. I don't want to say naive. Naive is not the word I'm thinking for, but I think you've really got it when you talk about being innocent. It's probably yeah. the right word to describe it. I think that's very much a case of, again, it's almost that running around the world is still fresh and new. He has an understanding of it, but everything is first. Yeah, 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 yeah. completely, completely, completely. And it's a shame that he really only got like the one stint on the TV. Oh, right. He got Night of the Doctor as well, but that's kind of like, yeah, teeny wee. Um, Interesting question for you then. Do you, either of you, um, do you think there is a, a, a gulf of difference between 96 McGann and 2013 McGann? And I know, bearing in mind, you had a tiny amount of 2013 McGann, but still. Think no. about jigsaw knitting can do a lot in three minutes compared to. No, he's virtually the same person. Yeah. Yeah, I and there is that like uh, weatheredness about him, but yeah, there's that undertone of just uh, exhausted with the circumstances he's in in yeah, the 2013. Yeah. But he's still, uh, he's still got it, hasn't he? He can still bounce off the walls, basically. Yeah, the way um, he springs yeah, into action. Think, 
I think that's a really good way of putting it. It's um, it's the way that Paul McGann addresses the fact that at this point the Doctor's exhausted, but at no point do I doubt they're two different people. They just feel like the same person at different points in the story. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, credit to Paul McGann because he pulls that off very well. He's still the same character, but just brings across world-weary. Yeah. Would you guys like to see, because people have been banging on about this for years, like to see a Paul McGann miniseries? I mean, I'd like to, but my my like chronology brain would blow with it because I like Doctor Who in chronology. I like to watch it in order, so I'd really struggle to watch a TV series I, of stuff. I don't know how to break this to you, but um, watching things in order is a bit hard with this type of show. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bet you hated the River Songs. <laughs> <laughs> if she was the main character, yes, I would. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the same boat, but I think. I definitely would want to see him back for a multi-doctor special. Oh, definitely. Yeah, without um, doubt. His own it. season, he deserves it, but whether it would like work or fit in mm. well is... I mean, I can see it as a I mean, coin it, flip, really. <laughs> it may be a future thing. It would be absolutely wicked to see him maybe, rather than uh, join for a multi- just a single multi-doctor story, he turns up like a two or three parter and is actually part of a story. That that would have my interest on. But actually, his own mini series. Maybe, maybe bring I him would... back to the 60, 60th. Yeah, but again, make it you know a proper. Again, I don't want it just to be one story because I think he he deserves more time on screen. I don't know if I'm comfortable or, I think comfortable is the wrong word. I don't know if having his own mini series may be the right way forward because again like you said a lot of times past where would you fit that in you've got to then establish whether through the narrative or the conversation where it fits chronologically but i think bringing him back for like i don't know maybe a three-parter or you know or even like the beginning of a season the end of a season and really wrap something else up to give him some more time on screen and give him a good bit of engagement yeah that would be really fun to see yeah definitely yeah yeah i can't add anything to that i think that's that's the best way of describing how he should be brought back you know give give him give him a a bit more kind of screen time basically yeah. It'd be great. Whoever, you know, whoever the next Doctor is, you know, just imagine there's a three-parter episode where um, the next Doctor teams up with uh, Paul McGann's Doctor and off they go. Yeah. Well, I've seen, this is a bit, this is looking a bit further ahead now, but I've seen suggestions um, that because the 14th Doctor is going to be quite close to the 60th and a potential season 14 or whatever, that they do... Um, similar to what they're doing with season 13 like a, a six-parter type one story deal where each episode is done by a different doctor oh really the modern series yeah hmm. That'd be no it's not actually happening i've just heard that other people suggest that oh is what you mean right yeah yeah that could work that could work they definitely need to get more actors back to play uh, just we're going on a very slight tangent there Peter yeah. Capaldi recently said he doesn't want to come back to do any multi-doctor stuff yeah I did that, see that that's so Aww. I know he's a massive fan and I appreciate he wants to move on with his work but come on Peter come on why do you still look like the 12th Doctor Peter I know you listen to this podcast every week please <laughs> come back and do a multi-doctor story we miss you I think I think we spoke about this before as well but you have to you know, once you are a doctor, you've got more. You've got a responsibility at that point. <laughs> it's a show which is very much fan driven. He knows that. I, I'm. He. This quote may have been taken out of context, and he may just be talking I about. Hope so. You know, imminently. He's Peter Capaldi's probably like one of the biggest Doctor Who fans out of all of them. So I can't. I can't imagine. I think. Completely right. I think actually, I think the full context is he didn't want to appear until Jodie had left. 
Okay, right, fair enough. Um, because he's literally the previous Doctor. Yeah, that's fair. So he didn't want too soon to, he didn't want to overshadow basically. Okay, who I see. Better is supposed to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so okay. maybe he would appear in the future, but yeah. I think you inject in context soon. after I've been all cynical and pleading. <laughs> However, I do agree. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Get back here! Get back here now! Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Eighth Doctor, I think, like, yeah, the, the difference between like 2013 and 96, yeah very identical, little bit weathered. Um, there is a universe of things that happen to, and and I know there is the, diff, the, the the whole kind of like point of what is classed as canon, what's classed as official, and they say there's no such thing as head canon, but uh, the Doctor did officialise Big Finish because uh, he obviously goes through his Big Finish companions and that. So it, that's official. <laughs> so obviously a lot of stuff happens to the Eighth Doctor to change him from the new romantic he is in 96 to the dark and quite cynically jaded but still quite heroic version he is in the 2013 Night of the Doctor and we'll talk about that in a lot of detail um, whenever it is we're talking about that in a couple of weeks I think. So um, the, obviously the Eighth Doctor himself is supported by uh, companions as all Doctor's Good doctors are not just companions. I mean, I guess we'll just talk about the supporting cast at this point. The main supporting cast, which is uh, the great and fantastic Eric Roberts and um, Daphne Ashbrook playing Grace and Eugene So as uh, Lee. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, playing playing the supporting cast. So choosing Eric Roberts as this master is a weird, weird choice. It's like I don't know. A really weird combination of foods, but it just works. If that makes sense. Uh, he likes to play dress up. <laughs> he likes yeah. to no. He likes to play dress up. <laughs> I do think it works coming off the back of Anthony Ainley. From a yeah, he's cute as hell. Is he? Yeah, <laughs> he plays it really camp Anthony. If, if Roger Delgado had followed, had not passed away, um, and continued on throughout the classic tenure. Which I believe was the intention, wasn't it? Really? Well, they were going to kill the master off with Delgado. Oh, uh, were they? Yeah, but they wanted to kind of like literally finish it off with him. But because they didn't, and then they brought in Peter Pratt or whichever one it was. Now I think it was Peter Pratt next. They kind of went, "Oh, we can do stuff with this. We can revitalize and keep bringing the master back each time." Um, was he never intended to be a time lord then, or? No, he was always going to be a time lord, but they just wanted to like properly kill him off. Like he's yeah. revealed as the Doctor's brother or something like that, and then this is like the <laughs> Hinchcliffe master. <laughs> That's that is that is honestly the peak of irony. The, the fact that the original actor unfortunately <laughs> died meant the character that always comes back yeah. <laughs> didn't it didn't get killed off yeah, originally. Exactly, yeah. Almost <laughs> as if it's in kind of like in honor to his name, but yeah, Eric Roberts playing the um the master uh in this it, it just I remember I've, I it's only in recent years I've really appreciated him portraying the master. I never used to like it. I always used to think, God, that irritating American actor um, with a thick Texan accent that just isn't the master. It just didn't It didn't feel like the master, but I think watching it back now, I kind of appreciate it a bit more. I think it works also in relation to the Doctor is a Brit. The viewership is generally British. The antagonist is American. Yeah, um, I can see that. There's like a yin and yang sort like of thing a, going on. There's there. a cultural play going on. There, like, normally, as you yeah, know, Englishmen are portrayed as the villains. It was nice to see the alternative on the telly. However, yeah, it was again, and I think I said this as we we're watching, didn't we? You know, he after he 
take uh, the mask takes over the, his body and decides to you know, go out to the TARDIS, pick some outfit, whatever. He goes very Terminator. Yeah, when he's walking around. Yeah, exactly um, how he stomps around the the sunglasses, the black coat, and I was just like, okay, all right, I see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he um he he does basically kind of like walk around. He makes reference to that though, doesn't he? He says it's been taking a bit of time to get used to this body, the way that Bruce walks and talks, etc. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, played out very well that I think the way that the way that he does it. Daphne Ashbrook then what and 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 so so the part of Grace. The woman, the, the cardiologist who is on call, yet still, for some bizarre reason, goes to the <laughs> opera in full regalia. I mean, what sort of a, an on-call doctor would go and do something like that? Also, well, that's not relation... expecting an alien to turn up. She's on call. She should just be on, like, waiting at home with her slobs on to, yeah. to go out. But, that's but... what we were saying, weren't it? It should be pyjamas thinking, oh, I wish I could open that wine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not only that, but, like, she's she, her relationship with Brian is on tenterhooks. Obviously, something's happened there beforehand, you know. He struggled to get, get to grips with her life as a doctor or whatever. And he's like, do you know what? I can't stand the fact that you go out on call all the time. It's just not on Grace. And she says, I'll make it up to you. Let's go to the opera tonight. By the way, I'm on call. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> if anything is going to, you know. Let's stay in and get a pizza and watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> or how about, yeah, exactly. not tonight, Brian, I'm on call. That's probably a better <laughs> way of dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> But instead, poor Brian acts as cannon fodder because uh, Grace needs a hole in her heart. The irony. The cardiologist is heartbroken. Heartbroken? She wasn't heartbroken. She She was pissed. She didn't like Brian anyway, did she? She She was furious. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, and then to be fair, in her defence, she comes home and her entire, what is it, a house or he's, he's whatever the phrase condo, is, is yeah, completely got, empty. Yeah. Absolutely gutted it, that's right. It's like, even took the sofa. Yeah, that's right. But he left Pretty his fair, shoes. She... I mean, what sort of a fucking nutter steals a sofa but leaves their shoes? <laughs> yeah, the sofa might be all the money's in. That's very true. That's very, very but, true. But she, but she portrays Grace brilliantly. I have to give credit yeah. where credit's due. You know, it comes across really, really well. You know, she doesn't feel fake or two-dimensional she's art you know from a from a writing point of view as well she's asking the right questions not just from a i've discovered somebody who is uh abnormal is probably the best way she could describe him at the beginning yeah but um to the point where then when she realizes everything's much bigger than what's going on because of her background medicine background she's asking questions which are relevant to her role not just in the series but as in the character she's portraying yeah she does it really really well and i think she's really engaging i'm glad that I'm glad, like I said, that dynamic between um, uh, Grace and A is really, really strong. Mm, it really is. Um, it's just a shame that Fox owned the, the rights to the character because she's never returned, never been able to return in Big Finish or anything. And she's obviously like the first companion, if you want to call her that in air quotes, the first companion the Eighth Doctor had. So it's, and she she obviously had an impact on him. Um, cool. That she did. What, cool. what do you make of Lee? Um. I find it questionable that he was able to be lied to so easily without it even being hinted at that he's hypnotised or anything. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, fair enough. Because he's basically like a gangster, really. Um Yeah, and... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just casting my mind back to how he found... He, he His life was saved by the Doctor, basically. It's hardest landing, landing in, front in front of him. Yeah. And then 
with all the things going on, he believes the guy with lizard eyes. <laughs> I mean, th- there's two things also about their interaction. And the doctor right? rewards him with gold dust. Yeah, well, well that, that, that to be fair, so that first bit with the gold dust does make me laugh because it starts with, um, oh, well, if you don't, you know, the master's very threatening. If you don't help me, then I'll just take your life and you'll never leave this place alive. You know, the twirling mustache, uh, mustache moments. And then suddenly it turns into, but also here's a couple of sacks of gold. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, hang on a minute, I mean, are you on. trying to threaten him or bribe him? Where is that fucking gold at the end of Earthshot? The Doctor's got apparently like a locker full of it. I mean, maybe that came afterwards. Maybe he thought, shit, I can't lose any more companions. I better get a locker full of red yeah. little bags of gold dust just in case. Let, let's, yeah, but... let's do some future proofing. <laughs> yeah. But then the other bit I did enjoy, actually, for... Uh, uh... For his performance on the screen is the bit where he actually first um, takes the key and goes into the TARDIS. That <laughs> the look on his face when he stops and backs out. Oh, that really captured me. He nails that entire scene by himself. Yeah, so some people overham it, don't they? They really overegg the pudding. Um, no, he nailed it. He literally he walked really in, well, took yeah. one look at the TARDIS, went nah inside his head, and just turned around and double checked. <laughs> he did have a bit of a. He had a bit of a rough ride over the whole film, to be honest, didn't he? Because he always gets murdered at the start, and then the master breaks his <laughs> neck in the yeah. Iron Harmony room. He is weirdly like one of those characters that's supplementary, not necessarily needed to progress the story. He's kind though, of he? a Rory, isn't he? He's not needed for the story at all. You take, you take him out, and the master, theoretically, I think, basically, he's an analogue for the master's companion. So, like, if you imagine the film and you pull a line down the middle of the screen, and you have the same action happening, in mirror image, basically, is what I'm getting at. You've got the master with his companion, and who happens to be a gangster, um, and a bit rough around the edges. And then you've got the doctor with his companion, who also happens to be a doctor. She's a cardiologist. They are literally kind of like chalk and cheese, aren't they? Different backgrounds, different worlds. Um, and you've got this dynamic going on where the master's kind of like quite sort of manipulative and in charge of Lee, whereas the doctor's quite supportive and constantly encouraging of Grace. He's constantly saying, you know. Uh, you dreamed of uh, cheating death when you were a little girl. Not like business. Can we just address that for a second? Go back to the doctor. That's one thing I don't get. How the hell does this newly regenerated doctor know so much about these people that he's never met before? I mean, all right, don't question it. Is like the big thing, but like, he's a creep. Do we lump it in the same pool as oh, there's a magical golden fairy dust that's brought them back to life? Well, again, I don't know how much of it is, like you said, trying to inject something new to revitalise the series to capture something different about it, as opposed to just bringing forth all the established stuff. Yeah, well, I think it's kind of um, alluded to when Grace is asking her what happens to me, what happens in the future, that sort of thing. It's, it, I think it's trying to convey the sense that the Doctor has a greater knowledge that he can, just from what he can perceive... Um, yeah. as opposed to what kind of like that that, that he's, he's those time sensitive muggles. sort of thing so uh, yeah yeah i see what you're getting at i suppose yeah yeah that, that, that. like he can look at a person and know where they when they were born and things like that i don't know yeah maybe maybe don't know weird wibbly wobbly uh, he knows the age of things when he licks them and he did give a good snog to a grace didn't he <laughs> That's why he, he discovered a new trick. That's why he keeps kissing everyone. <laughs> Pretty much. He just runs around, sort of tasting hmm. everyone. Mm, yes. This Queen Elizabeth is 300 years old. This is probably the Zygon. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But 
Yeah, no. In in terms of the um the, those guys as a supporting cast, then I think they did they all do a really good job. Um, Eric Roberts obviously came back and reprised more of his role in Big Finish as the Eric Roberts Master. Um, I love the fact that he survives. They they managed to bring him back by basically saying that he gets sucked into the TARDIS, into the Eye of Harmony, and then the TARDIS basically like vomits him out into a room an old abandoned room and then jettisons the room into the time vortex and the master's able to escape in eric roberts's body that way and then have a whole host of adventures still haven't listened to um master yet but i, I heard the first part of episode one and really enjoyed it um cook have you heard any of eric roberts's master on big finish yet i might have is there a river song one with yes him? yes that's the yeah, first one he came back in yeah, yeah yeah really good yeah. really really good i i you know he is i think it's really in a way it's and i'm sure there was probably just a paycheck to do with it but i think it's really sweet and endearing that a big hollywood actor i say hollywood that a really famous american actor like eric roberts would come and redo a role like he did in 96 that probably wasn't that well received i quite i quite like the fact that he's come back and done it you know yeah it's it's endearing in a way. Um, it was there was there's probably definitely more productive things he could have been doing, but instead <laughs> he chose to. Uh, did he did he actually come to Britain to record it? No, it was all it was all filmed in Vancouver in America. It was yeah, literally right. filmed all over over that side. Uh, I, I mean, I mean the um. Oh, big finish. Big finish. I, I, I doubt it. Well, he might have done actually. He might have done because this was pre-pandemic, wasn't it? When um, that mm. initial one came out, and when they did Master and stuff, that's when Big Finish started doing all their recordings remotely. So maybe for the very first one that he did, yeah. But no, it's nice to see he came back again um, to do his bits and pops. And yeah, like I say, it's just a shame that we never got the rights to to Grace because I'd love to see Daphne Daphne Ashbrook has reprised not reprised, but she's come back and acted in Big Finish as a different character. And the doctor's like, oh, I vaguely recognise you, but I don't know where from. So it's kind of hinted that maybe she's a descendant or there's some sort of wibbly-wobbly stuff going on or whatever, but her name is, Grace's name's never dropped in Doctor Who. Ah, yes. The TV My new companion, Ace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. So, so yeah. So that's the TV movie in a nutshell, then, I guess. Um, which, I suppose, really brings us to the end of this period of sort of we say classic don't we in a kind of open-ended way so my, my question for you guys then is um and i'm gonna get like a gut reaction from you now uh i'll pitch the question and then throw your answers at me you're in charge of the 96 tv movie who do you cast as the doctor the master and uh grace the lead companion Fuck yeah, I wasn't even born. How am I supposed to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, yeah. wait, do it now, do it now. So contemporary. Contemporary. You're doing a TV movie. It's a co American production. Who do you cast as the Doctor, the Master, and Grace? Um Do we have to fit it into the context of the plot that exists or Yeah, it's everything's exactly the same. Got reaction. Exactly Don't think about same. it. Who's your first, who's your first I, thought? I have to because I'm rubbish at actors' names, so I'm quickly jumping to Google to find out what they're called. <laughs> okay. I'll I, if you can't think off the top of your head, I'll find mine out straight away. Uh, I'd go for Richard E. Grant as the Doctor. I know he's kind of done the Doctor before, but still, I'd have him back as the Doctor again. Um, I would have... Uh, who would I have as the Master? I'd have, I'd have, what's he called? Ian McKellen as the Master. Uh, and I would probably, as Grace, have somebody like... Um... Ooh, that's the one that ludes me. 
Go on, Cook. What are your thoughts when I'm thinking of Grace? I really don't know. I think for 1996, I think probably Hugh Grant is the obvious one. Yeah? So you're going to go for the um, 96 route? Doctor. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, Robin Williams for the master. Robin Williams, he plays roles really coolly. I know, like, yeah, like really sinisterly. So yeah, that, I think he'd do an exceptional would, job. That's a that's a bonkers choice, but I can kind of see that in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Okay. I don't have a clue for Grace. To be honest, I don't either. Do you know what? Even contemporary, I'm struggling to think of who you would get to play to play. Uh, to play Grace, that that would be a strong kind of independent female lead. I, I keep my brain keeps going to Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I don't know why. It's kind of like my brain automatically goes to strong independent white female. I don't know why she would have to be white. Actually thinking about it, um, no, I know who would be Grace. Either Zoe Saldana or um, God. I can't remember a name. Never mind. Zoe Saldana. We'll go with Zoe Saldana. Yeah. Gamora from um, Guardians of the Galaxy, basically. Yeah. yeah so interesting. Mm. Honestly, I can't think. I, I don't really know any uh, female actresses from that time. Fair play. Matt, you're, up, you're very, very I'm quiet. Rubbish actors' names. You've really exposed <laughs> me on this. Right, just say the bloke from this or the woman from that. I can't. I'm completely mind blanked. You suck. I generally don't have you an answer, but I'm so sorry. I feel at this game. awful. I'm rubber. You, if you'd have done anything with, you know, in, ah, in in law stuff, we could have had a completely different conversation. But instead, you've gone. What's the real names of so and so? And my mind's terrible. Well, we basically got yeah. in the running. We've got Richard E. Grant or Hugh Richard E. Grant or Hugh Grant, which is a, <laughs> a weird choice. Um, or Robin Williams, fantastically, or Ian McKellen. Maybe Morgan Freeman, actually, as well. Um, and Zoe Saldana as our choice cast for the recast TV movie. So that about sums up um, this particular uh, run for us uh, on, on the classics within TARDIS Talk. So we've been having some thoughts about where we could take the podcast um, in the near future. We want to basically keep going towards uh, the return of the series, which at the moment we're putting our money on around about the 23rd of October, we think. It's likely to be around that time. They've said autumn for six weeks worth of show. We're looking at potentially kind of like taking us through towards Christmas. Uh, we reckon it's going to be around about the 23rd, 24th of October. So, so yeah, so basically we're, we've been kind of like putting our heads together uh, for a few ideas of where we're going to go with this. Um, so, uh, yeah, so as per usual, don't forget to follow us over on Twitter, uh, Let's Tardis Talk. Now, join us next week as we go somewhere a little different as we explore Doctor Who's live and interactive experiences. Um, that's from our recent personal review of Time Fracture. If you haven't been... Uh, we'll give you both a spoiler and non-spoiler opinion on that. But until then, it's a goodbye from us. Yeah.